Wonderful worship tonight. It's good to see all of you. Colossians chapter 4 tonight. We've got this week and next week in Colossians, and then we're on to a new study on Wednesday nights. We'll be telling you about in a couple weeks. I also want you to turn to Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to be going there in just a few moments, and so I want you to go ahead and find Joshua chapter 1. Since we're almost to the end of Colossians, let's do a quick, quick review, if you will. In Colossians chapter 1, one of the two main themes of this letter is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It's found in verse 18 that he himself may become first, Jesus, in all things. The fact of Christ's preeminence in the universe should continually shape our priorities and our purpose for living. And everything that Paul talks about in this letter is then goes back to that. If Jesus is preeminent, then he should be first, as we've already seen in the last couple of weeks, in our personal life, in the church, in our home, in our workplace, in our school. And tonight we're going to see in really in any interaction that we have with any person who's without God. Okay? Then also, the other main theme of this letter is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, found in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been filled or are complete in him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And because of his sufficiency, we then are reminded and reassured of our provision of our competency, of our adequacy, because our adequacy comes from his sufficiency, and whatever he asks us to do, he will fit us for and make us sufficient for in all those things. With all of that said, then if you go down to verse 11 of chapter 3, Paul said, but Christ is all and in all, meaning he is to be our everything and permeate everything which again sort of ties back into the two main themes of the preeminence or priority of Jesus Christ in our life, first in all things, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ that he will provide us with all things and therefore wants us to bring the knowledge of him in every place that we go. And we saw that in 2 Corinthians last week. So tonight, we're just going to zero in on a few verses. Over in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to actually go back to Joshua. Paul says, Be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may make it known as I should. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer every one. Now, in this passage we're going to look at tonight, one of the things that Paul's reminding the Colossian Christians of and us of is this. God wants us to take our authority through him into every area of influence in our life and affect change there. Let me repeat that. God wants us to take authority over every area of influence that we have and affect change there. And remember, God has granted us his authority. In the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, all authority is given to me. Now you go in my authority and you make disciples. Baptizing, teaching, I'll be with you to the end. Now, the reason I want you to go back to Joshua is this is not an Old or New Testament concept. This taking authority into every area that we go and, in a sense, claiming it for God and affecting change there. In Joshua chapter 1, God is sort of reminding Joshua of the same promises and commands that he gave to Moses. And now it's Joshua's turn. It's under his leadership that the people of God are going to go in and claim the land that God promised them. And I want you to specifically look at verse 3. I am handing over to you every place you set foot, as I promised Moses. I want you to keep that in mind tonight because it has everything to do with what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks out of the book of Colossians and continue to talk about tonight. God says, every place your foot goes, I'm handing that over to you. Now, I understand that in that sense, he's talking about claiming their land possession. But understand, God has called us to go into this world under his authority. And so God is saying to us as his people, do you realize that every place your foot goes, you should go there with my authority? That that is a place of influence. If you're there, then I'm there. And I want you to use that opportunity to affect change there in a positive way. If you and I honestly kept that in mind and lived that way every day, I think it would change sort of again the, the priority and purpose and all of that of the way we approach every day. That we're not just going out there into the world or we're not just existing in a certain place. This is a place where God has given me authority. This is a place where he wants me to, to have influence and affect change in, you see. Just as he talked about to Joshua in Joshua 1.3. So for just a moment, you can go back now to Colossians 4. We see that God 
wants me to be that way when I come into the church as a part of the body, that, that I'm coming into this body with his authority, and God wants me to claim that authority and use my influence to affect positive change in the body of Christ, in the church. He wants me to have that same mindset in my home, that I am to claim authority for what he has called me to, of whatever role or responsibility to in that home, and that I am to claim his authority and be that influence and affect change within the home. He has called me in the very same purpose to do that in my workplace, if I go to school somewhere, wherever. And we're going to see tonight, as he says, even in the way we walk in wisdom towards those without God, that everywhere our feet goes, we go in the authority of God, and we should go understanding that God wants us to be an influence at that particular time with that particular person or group of people and to affect positive change. Let me give you an example that you see happen every week here, at least twice a week, with Nicole and I. Because God has called us to these specific roles within this church, every time Nicole and I get on this platform, she is claiming the authority that God has given her to be our worship leader, and she is here then to influence us and to affect change in us in a positive way as we seek to worship the Lord and grow in our worship. I do the very same thing as the pastor. I come here twice a week, and I come here, and I do not stand in my own authority. I stand confidently in the authority that God has given me, in the calling that he's given me in my life, and now I have the responsibility before God and before you all to come and claim that authority and to be the influence that God wants me to be as the pastor of this church and to affect change in a positive way. Well, guess what? God has called each of you to do the very same thing everywhere your foot trots. Because you and I are the house of God. We are the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And therefore, every place we go, in a sense, is holy ground. And every place we stand is a place where God says, I want you to claim my authority at that time, in that place, be an influence, affect change. How do we do that? How do we, how do we develop that mindset to take his authority into every place we go, into every conversation we have, into every person we meet? Paul gives us sort of a prescription for how we do that. Back in Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. And the first thing he says is, we've got to be a people who are devoted to prayer. Devoted. It means a course of action never to be deviated from. In fact, Paul uses the same concept in Romans 12, 12, when he tells the Roman Christians, persist in prayer. Same, same Greek word, just translated devoted here and persist in Romans 12, 12. It is the idea of a well-worn path, or as I like to say, a really deep groove in your life. <laughs> that, that turning to God 
is just what we continually do as Christians. That in everything that we're facing, in every situation, in every, we just keep turning to God. That's like our primary, you know, using a modern term, that's our default, but in a good way. We hear news, we turn to God. We have a conversation, we turn to God. We're faced with a responsibility or a challenge, we turn to God. Devoted to prayer, devoted to prayer. By the way, this word prayer is also an act of worship. Because it's worshipful to, to say to God, God, I, in, in all, every, each and every situation, I need you. <laughs> I need to talk to you about this. I, I, need, to, I need to take this up with you. I, I, I need your perspective on this. I need your wisdom on this. Uh, I, I need some understanding here, God. Whatever it is, that's an act of worship. It, it's, it's saying to God, God, I'm not ever trying to do this on my own. I need you, God. That's worshiping God. That's putting him in his rightful place. Because literally, we're practically, you know, fleshing out the fact that we're not in any way taking a step in our life or doing anything apart from him. We're partnering with him in everything. And this word for prayer also speaks about the great exchange that takes place when you and I come into the presence of God. Uh, sort of going back to the concept of Isaiah in Isaiah 61, where he says, when you and I interact with God, he takes our ashes and makes them beautiful. He exchanges beauty for ashes. The ashes of a, of a fire will eventually sort of dissolve and blow away, but there's the brightness of the glory of God that remains. And God is saying, in a sense, give me your ashes when you come. I'll, I'll make something beautiful out of it. Even Romans 8, 28. Bring this thing. Bring your doubt, and I'll build confidence. Bring your fear, and I'll give you courage. As we pray, we, we go through this exchange. You even see it in the Psalms many times, where the psalmist, David or others, they, they start out the psalm, and they're not in a good place. And by the end, because they've been interacting with God, they, they now are in a different place than they were when they came into the presence of God. That's also what worship does. That's why prayer and worship, in a sense, are, are, are two forms of, of worship. It's just one is praising and singing, and the other one is just talking and interacting. But they both sort of accomplish the same thing. We're never the same once we worship and pray and all those things. Devoted to prayer. Because it's in being devoted to prayer that we also then continue to be reminded of, of the place of God in the universe and his greatness and the fact that we have his authority and we are under his authority and we have the confidence to go in his authority and claim whatever space we have to be an influence there and to exert change there on his behalf. It is only when we're continually interacting with God that we can have that kind of boldness and confidence in order to live that way and to go in his authority. It's also the only way, verse 2, that we'll be able to keep alert. It means to be vigilant, to literally stay awake or to be watchful. And you see this concept throughout the New Testament, especially Jesus teaching his own followers, you know, watch and pray. One of the great passages there is, is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
whether you're talking about the one that's recorded in Matthew or Luke. And Jesus is, you know, he's, he's going through it. He's, he's sweating great drops of blood, and he's encouraging his followers, watch and pray because the hour is coming, and Jesus knows the spiritual challenges especially that are coming because of his arrest and his betrayal and his crucifixion. And all that. He knows the heaviness of the time that's coming, and he says, guys, you have got to push yourselves a little, and you've got to spend some time in prayer here and be watchful, watchful and vigilant, but they fall asleep. You know the story, you know. And Jesus comes back after spending some time with the Father. He says, couldn't you not have stayed awake and watched with me a little bit? And they could not. And so it's no wonder then that the very next day that Peter denies him and, and they all forsook him and fled because they weren't ready, because they weren't remaining vigilant, because they weren't praying. And God wants us to be spiritually watchful and alert and awake so that we know what's going on around us, so that we can make the most of the opportunities, so that we can claim our authority from God in every place that we go. But we've got we've to be aware and awake at all times, knowing, you know, the attacks of the enemy and, and, and what opportunities are out there and what doors are open, as Paul's going to talk about. We need to make sure that we are fully awake, spiritually speaking. And God then always ties the concept of when we go to prayer, of praying with thanksgiving, verse 2. And again, this word, as I've mentioned before, in its simplest form, simply means grateful for grace. Because without God's grace, where are we? That's why Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Everything Paul said I ever accomplished for God, I did so only because his grace was operating in my life. Anything that I was able to endure, like my thorn in the flesh, and, and be able to rise above it was only because of the sufficient grace that God gave me. It's all because of grace. And therefore, every day, you and I as Christians should understand that the only way we get through the day, the only way we affect influence and affect change and take God's authority is because of the grace that he gives us. We can never do it on our own. So obviously we should be living a life of thanksgiving and praise and gratefulness and appreciation to God because without him, we can't do it. Always grateful for God's grace. So then Paul moves on. But let me say before I move on, this is the way you and I have that mindset of everywhere we go, every place we find ourselves, we realize we have an authority from God there and that area of influence to affect change. If we're not praying, we're not remaining awake, we're not being thankful, we're not going to develop or maintain that mindset. Paul has that mindset. So notice in verse 3, at the same time, he says, pray for us too, that God may open what? A door of opportunity so that the message of Jesus Christ may go out and that we may proclaim it for which I am in chains. Pray that I may make it known as I should. Now, isn't it interesting? Paul says, the reason I'm in chains is because 
I'm preaching this message, and yet I'm going to continue to do it? Did you, did you get that? You know, it's not like, okay, I got arrested, and I'm confined in a Roman jail because I preached, so I'm going to shut up. No. Paul says, I have an authority from God, and I'm not going to let men tell me to shut up because God has told me to speak. In fact, Paul, in other places, said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It's like he's constrained. It's just like he can't hold it in. It is a fire that God has placed within him, and it burns. And Paul says, unless I, I talk about the Lord and all that he's done for me and how he's forgiven me, unless I use my authority to be an influence and to affect change in everyone that I meet and in everywhere that I go, I may as well be dead. And if they want to kill me, they're going to kill me. But I'm not going to shut up about Jesus. So I'm going to continue to preach the message, even though that's why I'm in prison in the first place. And then do you notice something else here? Paul does not ask the Colossian Christians to pray that he be released from prison as much as pray that I may make the message known. That says something about his mindset. I'm not saying Paul wouldn't enjoy being freed, but the main thing that Paul's concerned with is being an influencer right where he's at, even if it's in prison. And we know that he was. We know that he tells the Philippians, Man, people in the, in the Roman palace and even in the Praetorian Guard are coming to know the Lord because God has planted me and some other disciples here in jail. And we're able to share the gospel and people are getting saved and lives are being transformed. So Paul is so zeroed in on what? On making Christ first. And knowing that God will give him the provision because of his sufficiency to be a witness in prison effectively for Christ. By the way, I want to go back here. In verse 3, Paul talks about this open door. And as I said last week, when God opens a door, no man can shut it. When God closes a door, no man can open it. And you and I need to, again, have that mindset. When God opens that door, we walk through it. And there might be many adversaries, because Paul says to the Corinthians, God has opened up a wide and effectual door for me, but there are many adversaries. So just because you may face opposition and challenges and all that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to walk through that door. As we walk with God, we'll know what doors he's opened for us. But Paul's asking them to pray that God would continually keep these doors open so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And again, remember, the mystery of Christ is not saying that Christ in any way or the message about him is mysterious. It was a word used in the New Testament of what could be known only because God has revealed it. That's what it means. It's speaking about God's revelation. In the Old Testament, there were things that obviously God left out and now or, or not given a complete explanation of, and now he's revealing it to his people. Physically, the end of verse 3, Paul is restricted and confined, but he understands something. God's message and God's word and God's spirit because God is spirit and because God works in the spiritual realm, not in the physical realm so much, 
that, that he's not bound or confined or restricted at all. You and I need to be reminded of that, say, for instance, when we're stuck somewhere. Like, well, I can't do anything. Oh, yeah. You may be confined there, but God's not confined. You and I might find ourselves at some point laid up with an illness for a while and go, wow, I I can't serve the Lord. I can't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God's not confined. You and I might have to stay in one place for a while, but that doesn't mean God doesn't. And that's where being a prayer warrior really comes in because we can affect change and be an influence through our prayer life and through even speaking to other people even while we're in one place, just like Paul did. Do not limit what God can do just because you and I physically might be in one place. God is working everywhere. God never stops working. And then he says this, verse 4, Pray that I may make it known as I should. Paul's saying, look, I, I want to speak in such a way that it's graspable, <laughs> that, that it's so clear and understandable that they get it. That, that's what he means. Because let's face it, you know, there are people that know a lot about all kinds of subjects and topics and whatever, and I even had some of them in college and high school and all that, and they were brilliant. But I didn't understand a thing that they taught because it was so over my head. I couldn't grasp it. They couldn't bring it down to my level. And that's really what Paul's saying. He says, pray not only for the door to be open, but when it, when it opens and I have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with somebody, that I can do it in a way that they grasp it, that they can comprehend it, that they can understand it, that I can bring it down to their level. With that said, then notice verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. By the way, the word conduct literally means to walk, to take each step. And think about that going back to Joshua 1.3. Everywhere you step, that's your ground. And Paul here is saying to us as Christians, everywhere you step, that's God's ground. You claim it. He's given you authority to make disciples and to go into all the world and be a witness. And you now have the opportunity in that spot, wherever it is, a store, a school, your workplace, church, neighborhood, wherever it is, you have now an opportunity in your home to be an influence and to affect change change that can change eternity. Walk. Walk with wisdom. Wisdom speaks about a spiritual insight that only can come from God. God wants us to live with spiritual insight, especially at all times, but especially when we're dealing with those that he calls here outsiders, literally those without God, unbelievers, whatever you, however you want to describe those that do not have a personal relationship with God. And so notice the progression here too in Colossians. He starts out with our personal life. Then he goes to the life of the church. Then he goes to the life of the home. 
Then last week, he also talked about that employee, employer, you know, occupation out there in the world. But now he wants to get real specific. He says, in case you missed it last week, now I'm telling you, I'm talking to you about your interaction that you should have every once in a while with those without God. As they see us, as they watch us, as they hear us, are we walking in wisdom? Are we, are we carrying ourselves with a spiritual insight that only comes from God? So that we can make the most of the opportunities. Some opportunities we're only going to get once in a lifetime. Some people we might not ever see again. They might not ever see us. And there might be those times where the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to go up and talk to that person. I've been there. It's, it's awkward. Trust me. I don't know them, God. Yeah, but I want you to go up and I want you to talk to them. Okay. Sometimes I've seized those opportunities and sometimes I confess I, I didn't. To make the most of the opportunities is not to miss the moments of life. And obviously, we can apply that principle to everything. And how do we stay in that moment and be in that moment and seize that moment? Well, back up to verse 2. Being devoted to prayer and keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. As we live a life of prayer, as we live a life of being vigilant spiritually and being watchful and being awake and just being so thankful for God and for all that we have in God and especially for the grace that we live with and live by every day, we will start to pick up and be more sensitive to those opportunities. Whether they're opportunities to serve, whether they're opportunities to witness, whether there are opportunities to be a light or an influence in each and every situation with different people and different, it doesn't matter. God will show up, and you and I don't have to worry about at that point, well, God, do I have enough? If God has placed us there, then God wants us to go in his authority, knowing and having the confidence that we are sufficient in him and we are complete in him. And whatever he's asking us to do, whatever conversation he's asking us to have, we will have enough because we are in him. We need to take full advantage of the time we have on earth. Every day is a day that just ticks by. It's one less day we have here. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us, Lord, about our mortality. Or in other translations, teach us, Lord, to number our days so that we may apply our hearts wisely or to wisdom. Having that spiritual insight to make the most of our opportunity. Are we making the most of our opportunities to grow as a Christian? Are we making our, the most of our opportunities to spend time with God every day? Are we making the most of our opportunities, especially in this context, to take our authority that we have from God over every area of influence and affect positive change? And then Paul gets very specific as we wrap this up tonight. Here's part of how we do that. And notice... It all has to do with what comes out of our mouth. 
Oh, boy. You know, in these days, especially that we're living in, where words are flying back and forth, and we really see the evidence of that verse from Proverbs, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can either speak death into a situation, or we can speak life. And we have that power. And we have the authority as Christians to speak life into situations and into people's lives, not death, to build them up. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to edify one another, Paul says to the Ephesian Christians. And here Paul says this, let your speech or your words always be gracious. What's that mean? It means let our words be such that God can use our words and what comes out of our mouth to influence somebody else's heart. That's gracious words. Let me repeat that because that's important. How do you and I speak gracious words? By speaking words that come from God and in the way that God wants us to speak them that can influence the heart, where he can influence it. We can't change a heart. But God can use our words or our speech to influence other people's hearts if we use his words and do it in his way. That's gracious. That's gracious. And then he says, words that are seasoned with salt, words and speech that create a thirst for God, because that's what salt does. It's one of the properties of salt. It's not only a preservative, but it also creates thirst. And here in this context, that's what Paul is saying. That as we devote ourselves to prayer, as we keep alert and be thankful, as we make the most of the opportunities, as we walk in that spiritual insight and wisdom that only can come from God, we will begin to learn to speak in such a way that God can use our speech to influence and affect other people's hearts. And that no matter who we're talking to or where we're at, we then are taking the authority that God gives us in that area of influence to affect positive change. And then I love this. He ends this great passage by saying, so that you and I may know may be fully aware how to, how we should answer everyone. That's the other side of it. Now they've said something to us, and now we have to have the wisdom of God to know, how do we respond and reply to that so that God can continue to influence their heart? Because a lot of times we might even start out with a good word, a gracious word, then they say something back to us, and we come right back. Not with a gracious word, not with the word seasoned with salt. And so that means, again, we've got to be in a place where obviously we are being filled with the Spirit, we're walking in wisdom, we're devoting ourselves to prayer. Maybe, maybe we even have to 
have one of those what we call sort of quick flare prayers. Like, okay, they've just said this to me, Lord. Now, how do I respond to that? I've done that many times in counseling or in dealing with people where they've said something to me and I have to go, okay, Lord, how do I respond? How do I reply to that? Do I respond and reply to that? And if so, how do I do it in a way that you can influence their heart? When I study a passage like this, I come away going, do you realize God thinks more of us than we ever think of ourselves? And the reason I say that is because when you read something like this and you get the concept that he's given us his authority to go into the world and be an influencer and affect change everywhere we go to everybody that we come and come, that's a lot of responsibility. And yet many times it's almost like, you know, we, we don't think much of ourselves and all of that. And here God's like, no, you don't understand. One day you're going to rule and reign with me for all of eternity in my kingdom. You're going to rule over the angels. You better get ready. You better start ruling and reigning now. Rise to the challenge. Realize who you are in me. Realize that you have everything that you need in me. And that just as God said to Joshua, Joshua, everywhere your foot goes, that's yours. That's yours. You and I need to live that way as God's children. That when I'm up here on this platform, I've got to claim this as mine. And I've got to use then the privilege and the responsibility that God gave me to be up here to teach you all to be a positive influence and to affect change and to, to take the authority that he's given me. And God does the same thing with you and I. In fact, many times we're going through life and we might even be conscious of it. But again, in our church, in our home, in our community, Everywhere that we go as a Christian, God is saying, everywhere your foot goes, claim that as mine. Make the most of the opportunities that I'm giving you to rub shoulders, especially with those that do not know me. Let the way you talk and how you talk and what comes out of your mouth and how you respond to them when they talk to you be so gracious that I can start influencing their heart through the words that you say. God thinks a lot of us. God's given us great responsibility. Let's accept that responsibility. And let's start claiming our authority. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for these reminders I pray, Lord, I just keep coming back to that phrase that Paul shared, make the most of the opportunities that God gives us. Lord, your word tells us how, how short life really is, that our life is a vapor, 
that appears on this earth for a very short time, and then we're gone into eternity. God, I pray that we would take every day and make the most of it. That we would wring out of every hour the most of it, just like we did this last hour together as your people. God, we were here to worship, and we worshiped. And God, when we were in your word, we were in your word. We were listening. We were attentive. We were responding, God. And I pray, God, that it would be like that always. God, we would realize we have a limited time on this earth to take your authority that you've given us into every area of influence that you've given us and to affect positive change. God, may we be mindful that as we take those steps every day, as we walk, that, Lord, everywhere we go, you go with us, and so does your authority. Help us to claim every place that we go for you, God, to use it for your glory. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll wrap it up next week, so we hope you'll be with us. God bless you. We'll see you next week.